chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to apologize ahead of time, uh, maybe. I, I might have to. Uh, the Hebrew text actually, chapter 2 starts in verse 17 of chapter 1. And, and when I do the study, I have the Hebrew text and the English text, and, and the verses were different uh, this week. Um, and so there's actually 11 verses in chapter 2. Uh, rather than 10 in the Hebrew text. And so if I say the wrong verse number and you can't figure out where I'm at, I apologize. I just have too many numbers in my head. But, uh, but anyhow, we're going to take that last uh, verse of chapter 1 and, and go through chapter 2. And where we are at is Jonah is, uh, has just been thrown overboard. And he was supposed to go to Nineveh and cry out against it or call out against it so that they could repent and he didn't do that he uh, went the other direction jumped on a ship heading for Tarshish a big storm came and and the sailors were calling out to their gods and throwing things overboard trying to save themselves and uh, Jonah finally said throw me overboard and they tried not to but they ended up having to throw him overboard and and so they did and we see uh, that that's what happened at the, well, in verses 15 and, and 16 of chapter 1, they threw uh, Jonah overboard, then the sailors feared the Lord and, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows, and so now the ship is sailing on, and we're going to stay with Jonah. And so we'll pick up the story here, Jonah chapter, seven, or chapter 1, beginning at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I get away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pits, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The word of the Lord, let's pray. Gracious God, you do give us your word that we can learn from it, we can learn of you, and we can be strengthened in it. And so, Lord, we ask for your blessing upon this word as we look at it, that you will grow us in your truth. Through Jesus Christ, amen. As I mentioned uh, when we started uh, the book of Jonah, it's a story that we're all uh, familiar with. Uh, it's one of those that you learn in Sunday school. And it's 
because why not? It's got this fish who eats a guy, and that's just really cool uh, when you're in Sunday school. But, uh, but when you become really familiar with a story, uh, it sometimes loses its impact a little bit. And, and you, you lose the surprise. You know, the first time you read this, uh, there's some things that somewhat surprise you a little bit. You know, if this is a normal story, uh, if I say normal, you know, outside of God working in it, if, if this is a, uh, you know, what would normally happen, Jonah gets thrown overboard and probably just goes to the bottom of this sea and he drowned and then that's it. Uh, but there's this little surprise. All of a sudden there's this fish and you're like, whoa, here's this fish. But then you're thinking, well, the fish has got to be a bad guy. He's eating Jonah because the fish is hungry. And so you're thinking, all right, so Jonah's fish food. End of story. Uh, but that, that's not it either. It, 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 it surprises us as things go on. The, the fish is actually a good guy. And, and God has this fish in exactly the right spot at the right time. And the first time you read this, it's, it's very unexpected. And there's this unexpected grace that we see being extended to Jonah. And, and we can sometimes lose the impact of grace. And as we look at this prayer of Jonah that, that he prays, we will notice the, the, the imagery takes a, a very dark tone now it ends in Thanksgiving, but there's some there's some darker tones in here. And uh, I mentioned earlier, I, I get a lot of my Hebrew help from the Baylor University Press handbook on the Book of Jonah, and they really brought out what Jonah is going through and what he prays as he's in this fish, and we see his desperation. But as, as he's thrown overboard, we see in, in verse 17, there's, there's this great fish that the Lord had appointed, this unexpected grace out of nowhere that, that swallows Jonah. But it's grace, but Jonah's still in a really bad spot here, trying to flee from the presence of God, as it said in, in chapter 1. And, and now he's in the belly of this fish, three days and three nights. And then, in chapter 2, verse 1, and then Jonah prays. And as we've been going through Jonah, now you think, well, it's about time, Jonah. You know, you've been told to call out to your God for a while now. And now, finally, Jonah prays from the belly of the fish. And he starts this prayer in verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and, and you heard my voice. And, and this actually the first line of this prayer really summarizes the whole of the prayer. He kind of builds on, on this first line. And everything he says is, is, is kind of expanding on this idea. And there's, there's a lot of vocabulary and imagery in this prayer that you can find in the Psalms, uh, in several Psalms, actually. In Psalm 18 and 22 and 81, uh, 116, 130. Um, also, 
Lamentations 3. There's a lot of this uh, language and imagery. And I say that just to mention that Jonah is familiar with the Psalms. He's familiar with these prayers that were read at the temple. And that's what they would do with the Psalms, is they would read those in the temple. And Jonah's been there. He knows the right words. He just really hasn't been acting the right way, but he knows the right words. He's heard these. He's probably spoken them in the temple. He just been, hasn't been doing uh, the right thing. And so he calls out from this, and, he, and he, he says, out of the belly of Sheol. And Sheol, by the way, is the place of the dead. Jonah considers himself as good as dead. And he'll build on that a little bit later. We'll get to that. But he said, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And I want to just spend a little time on that word, cried. I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, obviously, it's not the same word uh, earlier in the verse where he said, I called out to the Lord. This is a different word. I, I cried. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of Hebrew lexicons to help you out with some of these Hebrew words. One of them I think uh, really gets uh, points out the, the definition of this word really well. Uh, they describe it this way, a successive series of screams. You could translate that shrieks. I shrieked out. I, I screamed out. You know, and when you read the story and you're in Sunday school, and I still have the, the image in my head, there's, you know, the, the picture that they would give me or that they had for me there is this guy sitting and you can see the ribs of, of the fish around him. And there's like a lantern by him, you know, and that lantern so that, you know, you can see him. And, and here's this guy sitting all kind of forlorn looking in this, you know, and you see the ribs around him. But that's, that's not it. It is completely dark, and he is shrieking out in fear. Successive series of screams in pitch black darkness. You know, some of you have mentioned being in a cave. And uh, Eric and I had the chance to do this up in Wisconsin one time, in the deep depths of a cave, and then they'll turn out the lights. And it is so dark. And even though you know they're going to turn the lights on in a few seconds, it's scary. And here's Jonah in this fish. Not a glint of light to be seen. And he is shrieking out. Screaming out. He's been trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. And now he's screaming out. And then he says, I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah's at rock bottom here. Uh, Timothy Keller, in his book about Jonah, he writes this, there was a fatal flaw in Jonah's character, and it had lain hidden from him as long as his life was going well. It was only through complete failure that he could begin to see it and change it. And Jonah is experiencing complete failure right now. I guess you could say he was successful in, in fleeing. Um, 
but he wasn't successful in fleeing the presence of the Lord. In fact, the Lord has him here, and this is complete failure on Jonah's part. And Jonah recognizes that in verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. All your waves and your billows passed over me. He, he knows exactly why he's there. You know, so much for fleeing from the pleasant or from the pleasant or presence of the Lord. Uh, he's there, and, and the Lord uh, is is cast him into the deep, surrounded him, and he said, "I'm driven from from your sight." And then there's this uh, phrase in verse four: "Yet my translation reads, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple." Uh, in the original Hebrew, that's not quite as confident as, as some of the translations translate that. I know the NAS, they translate that nevertheless, and I've read some translations that would read, nevertheless, I continue to look to your holy temple. Uh, it's, it's not, there's not that assurance that he's actually going to see it. Uh, he's hopeful, uh, but but there's, there's some question. Is this a prayer of confidence or question at this point? I, I look to your temple. I want to see it. Um, but he has no assurance right now of getting out. He's, he's still in, in this fish. And the language that he uses is really stifling. Uh, it, it almost gets you claustrophobic when you think about it too much. In verse 5, the water's closed in over me and the deep surrounded me and the weeds wrapped around my head and uh, in verse 6 and and the the land whose bars closed upon me forever it's constricting and confining and getting tighter and tighter upon Jonah life-threatening distress here the NET Bible notes uh, they write this about how Jonah describes uh, the way back really as permanently closed against him. They write this, just as it was impossible for a lone individual to walk through the barred gates of a walled city, so Jonah expected it was impossible for him to escape death. He's thinking that's my only option. In verse 7, when my life was fainting away, and that word that gets translated fainting away, once again, is much more ominous than it appears uh, in English. In, in the Hebrew, this would often signal either the onset of death or the precursor of, of death. Uh, the NIV, I think, translates it, uh, my life is ebbing away. Uh, one translation has, just when I felt myself succumbing to death, death is inevitable. <clears throat> That's his feeling. I am being closed and constricted. The weeds are wrapped around me. I'm in pure darkness. Death is inevitable. Now, Jonah is a book of contrasts. And, and we've seen that throughout, and it's intentionally that way. Jonah was told to arise. Arise, go to Nineveh. Arise, do this. And, and he, but instead he goes down. And then there was that continual going down. He went down to, to the water, then down in the boat, got thrown overboard, down uh, to, the, to the bottom of the sea. You know, he was supposed to go east. He goes west. 
And, and we see this contrast here when things are now at their worst, Jonah seems to find hope. In verse 6, I went down, and that's been a continual down. I just kept going down, 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 but you, you brought me up. You brought me up, Lord. He's gone from fleeing God now to seeking God because he understands if he's going to arise, if he's going to get back up, it's going to be because of God. You know, no one likes to be told they're a sinner. And anyone that's ever told anyone they're sinning understands that. Nobody appreciates being told they're a sinner. Um, a lot of times you have to learn that. And sometimes we'll recognize it in a general sense. Yeah, I'm a sinner. Because, you know, Adam sinned. We, we kind of put the blame on Adam, actually. Because Adam sinned. You know, and... and Adam did the same because Eve gave him the fruit and Eve blamed the serpent. We just do the same thing. Yeah, I'm a sinner because we're all sinners because Adam sinned and I have this sin nature. We, we think about it in a, in a very general sense. Yeah, yeah, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm really a great guy. Uh, sometimes we'll say, well, you know what? Um... Moral standards, they're, they're a social construct, and it's all relative anyhow, and, and you don't have the right to make me feel guilty about any kind of sin, so I, maybe, but not really bad. You know, it's all relative, and then we come up with, with uh, reasons and circumstances and, and why we may have sinned. Oftentimes, we have to be shown just how bad sin can be. You know, one of the great examples of this in the Old Testament was uh, King David, and when Nathan came to him after King David had committed adultery and murder and lied in all kinds of ways, and, and Nathan came to him with a story about a man with a lamb, and then this rich guy who had a whole bunch of stuff took the lamb away and, and uh, for a guest, to serve to a guest, and David said, well, that guy needs to die, and Nathan said, you are that man. You know, he didn't come out and say, David, you sinned, but he told him this story. So David got angry at that guy and said, you're that guy, David. Sometimes that's what it takes for us to see, yeah, we're sinners. And we have to be shown how awful sin is. Because think about this. What is Jonah's sin? He didn't go to Nineveh. That's his sin. He disobeyed God is really at the heart of it, but he didn't go to Nineveh. You think, well, that's not that bad a deal. But here he is, shrieking out in the belly of a fish because he disobeyed God. We need to understand how awful sin is. Because when we don't really understand that, then we don't understand how wonderful grace is. Sometimes we just have to stop and realize that grace is our only hope, as Jonah is finding out here. We realize how great it is when we realize it's our only hope. And Jonah remembers that his God is the true God. He told the sailors that, that his God is a God of grace, and it changes everything for him. 
seems like he remembers the sailors on the boat too. Back in verse uh, chapter one, verse five, when they were calling out to their gods and how useless that was. Because in verse eight then, he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And that vain idols, uh, once again, that word is uh, even more uh, worthless. Actually, there's two words there. Uh, shows the worthlessness of idols uh, when you look at the Hebrew. You could translate it this, this way. The uh, worthlessness of nothingness or the vanities of emptiness. Uh, the, that word hevel uh, is used in Ecclesiastes. Uh, vanity, vapor, mist. It, it means anything that's unsubstantial or empty, futile. The other word, shav, is ineffective, lacking reality. Both words uh, are often, uh, or often do refer to idols, but, but there's just nothing there in these idols. There's no love, there's no grace, there's nothing in these false gods. The sailors saw that when they were crying out to the gods and nothing was happening. But the more you follow, those false gods, the further you go with the false gods, the idols in your life, the farther you're walking from the steadfast love of God. We've got to destroy all those idols in our life. Pay regard to them and forsake the hope of steadfast love. But... Jonah continues in verse 9, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving. Now, here's another contrast. We've gone from uh, these crying out, shrieking in terror in the fish now to this voice of thanksgiving. And I will offer sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. And, and we're reminded here a little bit of the sailors who did that back in chapter 1, verse 16. But it also reminds us of the temple, and Jonah seems to have the temple on his mind. Because he's mentioned it a couple of times in verse 4 and then in verse 7. He mentions the temple, and now he mentions the sacrifice and making vows. And he remembers salvation belongs to the Lord. And if you wanted to put the Bible in one sentence, this would be a good starting point. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You'd want to build on it a little bit, but it really summarizes uh, what life is. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Um, and when we look at Jonah and where he's at now, reminded as I mentioned, reminded of these words that he's heard at the temple, the words from the Psalms, reminded of the sacrifices. And for him, salvation uh, was this, back in his day, the Day of Atonement, which you can find in Leviticus chapter 16. And, and it was that day where, where the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and there's the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments, and that was all that was in it. And then there was a seat placed on top of it. It was called the mercy seat. It was made of pure gold. And on the day of atonement, the priest would go in and, and sprinkle blood on this uh, seat, on this mercy seat. And, 
and uh, the, the sins of the people would be atoned for. And it's this great uh, visual, if you will, of here's this, this moral law, this perfect law, the law of God, and, and it's in the, the ark, but, but you're shielded from the, the, the punishment for not following it because nobody was able to follow that law. You're shielded from it by the, the sacrifice, the, the blood that's on the mercy seat. Now, Jonah had no idea about Jesus. He understood God and the God of salvation and the sacrifices that were made to God. He, Jesus wouldn't come for many, many years later. But we get this great image of what's happening. This sacrifice who brings salvation. And in Hebrews, then, the writer of Hebrews talks about Jesus, the once-for-all perfect sacrifice for our salvation. Because Scripture is very, very clear that, that we are all sinners and that we all deserve God's wrath. That sin leads to death. We could consider ourselves, as Jonah did, dead. And when we think about being a sinner, sometimes we need to think about Jonah. Because that's where we could be. Shrieking out in terror. Shrieking out. You know, a lot of times we can say, it's just a small sin. I really didn't do that much, Lord. Yeah, I know I was supposed to do this, but I did that. It's kind of a small sin. And again, I say, well, what did Jonah do? God said, go to Nineveh. He, he went the other way. It's not that big a thing. God, just send somebody else. Tell Jonah, that's okay. You didn't want to. You be you, and, and I'll send somebody else. But no. He disobeyed God. And he's in the belly of this fish. Any disobedience lead or deserves the wrath of God. But salvation belongs to the Lord. It came at a very high price. You know, much like getting too comfortable with the book of Jonah and too familiar with it so that it loses its impact, it kind of loses the surprise that we see along the way and the impact of what's going on, we can get too comfortable with our sin. And we lose the impact of how horrible our sin is. And we lose how wonderful grace is. Because the only thing that keeps us from shrieking out in the darkness is the grace of God. And we have hope in Him. And that's why it breaks our hearts when we see others following vain walking away from the Lord, continuing on in their sin, and it breaks our hearts, and it's why we pray for them. But it's also why we hate our own sin and try our best with the Lord's help to put it behind us and never go there again. But ultimately, when we consider that 
salvation comes from the Lord. It's why we worship God and give thanks to him for this amazing, unbelievable grace that he gives us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the grace you show us. Your mercy. We know we are sinners. We know we deserve the wrath. But Lord, Jesus took that for us. And we are forgiven. Help us never lose the impact of grace. To understand just what it is we're being saved from and who it is that saves us. Lord, we do pray for those who continue on in their sinful ways, and we cry out to you, asking that you save them. And Lord, we ask that you keep our feet firmly in your ways, that we may not disobey, but that we walk in your truth, now and into eternity. Help us to see our sin, to hate it, to turn from it, that we may live with you. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.